You may be seated. For those who may not remember, I will read the question, you guys read the answer. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? What do you understand by the providence of God? How does the knowledge of God's creation and problem help us? We can be patient when things go against us, thankful when things go well, and for the future we can have great confidence in our faithful God and Father that nothing in creation will separate us from His love. For all creatures are so that without His will, Guide us, O Lord, by your word, that in your light we may see light, your truth, find freedom, and your will discover peace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Um, there's going to be a couple readings. Um, I've been working through Romans, as of course you're aware. Um, last week I went from Ephesians, but we're going to be doing two. Um, the, the Romans text, but in the Psalm text, actually, is uh, Paul quotes this psalm. So we're going to read the Romans text, and then we're going to read the Psalm text. And of course, we got a nice uh, alternate translation later. But, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to get condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We were regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in the psalm text. All this has come upon us. Though we have not forgotten you, and we have not been false to your covenant, our heart has not turned back, nor have our steps departed from your way. 
Yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with the shadow of death. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, we, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of our heart. Yet, for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. That's it. We'll, we'll come to that in a second. So, Bob, keep, keep your finger on that scripture in a moment. But go back to the Romans text. Because uh, there's going to be, there's a lot that I would like to preach about this text. Not only just from this text. There's a lot that I would like to preach from that, that, that uh, Heidelberg Catechism. And so I really had a tough time preparing this sermon because I had to make a ton of decisions. And as some of you may know, or maybe all of you know, I could talk a lot. And not only can I talk a lot, I could just be up here and just ramble and ramble and ramble and ramble and ramble, right? So that's something I had to be really, very really cognizant of when I was preparing this sermon. So let's turn to, let's turn to verse 31. Yeah, yeah, we got someone pointing to the to the, the clock already. And we got and it's communion Sunday, so that's gonna take some time, right? Let's, let's turn to verse thirty-one. This is gonna be the center in which I'm gonna be talking about this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, first I have to say that is a verse that is beautiful. For multiple reasons. Who here, and this may not actually, there may be no one here that has ever, could affirm what I'm about to ask, but who here has ever had a tough time in life? No one? No one? <laughs> Everyone runs into trial. Everyone runs into pain, right? I mean, that's just the reality. And, and if you look at this text, you say, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Right? Now let me catapult you to who Paul was writing to at this time. Are you aware of what was happening for the first 300 years of Christians in Rome? Does anyone know? Is anyone aware of what was going on? Anyone know the history well? Persecution. Thrown to lions. And this is, this is what was the most insipid part of uh, elements of persecution. If the line was over there, they would take the Christian and they would just move him one step forward and they were like, deny Jesus. And they'd be like, no. And they'd take one step forward, deny Jesus. And they'd be like, no. And they would just take him slowly and arduous. I mean, you just read some of these early testaments of, of um Oh, the name of the woman escapes me. But there's this testimony of this woman who was writing um, about how God was building her up and encouraging her as she was getting taken. So, like, they would, they would uh, bring her before a governor. And the governor would say, deny Jesus. And she says, no. And then she, they, would, they would put her in a room right next to the lion. And they'd hear the lion. And they'd throw meat to scare her. She said, no, I won't deny Jesus. She died. She died. So, how do we then read, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? Was God not for that woman? Of course. So this text has something more to it. This text has the depth to it. Um, meaning something. 
that there's more to this world and more to life than just living in it. Does that make sense? Meaning that God's going to promise that you are going to be more than conquerors while you're being eaten alive. Right? This, this, this tension that is found in Scripture often is incredibly difficult. And this tension is not easy, easily resolved because, you see, whenever you say, oh, wow, the amount of money I have in my checking account does not equal the amount of money that I have to pay bills, that's one thing. Um, recently been asked to pray for a young girl who is dying of cancer. That's a different story. She's not being asked to deny Jesus. But she's being asked to actually love Jesus in the midst of why is these things happening? I'll be honest. I have no idea why this tension exists. But I know the scripture is true. That if God is for us, who could be against us? I believe God is for us. Yeah, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. He won't leave us. But gosh darn it, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to leave him, right? There's going to be a lot of temptation to just run away from him. No, I'm not saying that you will. Go to the uh, next verse. Thank you. Uh, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him we, we love us. For I am sure that neither life, death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers. Next verse. Is it frozen? Nor height nor depth nor anything else in the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I'm giving you all these things. I'm giving you all this concept because... Actually, what we're talking about is the Father. What's going on? Now, here's where I have to actually make a decision with my sermon. What am I going to say here? What am I going to say? What did I talk to you about last week? Name. What's in a name? Right? Now, I have all kinds of pictures. I went home, and I looked up all these pictures of... Robert York and Dan Tana, and I was like, it's hard for me to believe that you guys did not recognize us. I'm not going to show you any of the pictures, but just Google it. You might recognize. But that's what my name, that's who I was named after. And you got, who, uh, who here was named after somebody? Vicki, were you named after somebody? Yeah. Not a famous person. No, well, <laughs> let's be honest. Dan Tana's not exactly like, you know, this, like, this clearly famous name, right? You were named after somebody, and there's import to this name. My middle name actually had a lot more import, Michael, my, my great uncle. I remember all this, remember me preaching this? And I talk about person and personality and personhood and the fact that God is not a God who is distant. Now, I use this as an, a, an actual physical illustration about walking away. That God isn't a God who's over here going to be interacting with you. What if I preached my sermon from out here? You know, and I would walk back and forth and talk to you guys. What if I was over here? Would that be a bit more impersonal? Right? Might be a little bit more comfortable for me than being up close and real close to you guys. But 
wouldn't be personal, right? I think our God does the exact same thing, and that's what I was talking about, that a, a God who at once was just said, I am, who was just named I am, is now, he's given you a name. My name is Jesus. My name is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These are what you can use to talk about me. This, these are how you could refer to me. And what that does is that takes God from a distance and puts him into the personal. Go back, go back to the beginning of the verse here. Bob. I think um, 33. No, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? This is when I decided to make the decision in my sermon writing process. See, go back, go back to that verse. We're going to stay on that verse now. Because you see, when you ask me, what are you going to be preaching on? And if you asked me on Wednesday you would get a hodgepodge of all kinds of things. So don't ask me that question on Wednesday. Because I don't know what I'm going to be preaching. I know what I'm preaching on. I know the text. And I have a, I'm have kind of like circling the concept of what I'm going to be preaching on. And I'll be honest with you. And you talked to Maggie this week. I was there Friday. Or Thursday, rather. And I was like, I still don't. And Bill was there. I was like, I still don't know exactly what I'm preaching on. And this hit me. Sitting in the room. Sitting there praying. And this hit me. Who indeed is either interceding for us? You see, you may deal with some difficulty. You may deal with pain. You may deal with trial. And you may deal with a lot of frustration in life. But I want us to draw towards Mary and Martha for a moment. You know the story between Mary and Martha? One was working and doing all this stuff, preparing the way, making food for everybody. And it was good. But Mary was at Jesus' feet, right? We know the story. And everyone was frustrated with Mary not preparing the food. And Jesus rebuked them. Why did Jesus rebuke them? Does anyone know? Because Mary chose the greater portion. What was she doing? That's the question. She was standing in the presence of God. She was soaking in Jesus, in his words. Not only was she learning, I think, I think that we want to kind of collapse that, that she was this beautiful student trying to learn. And maybe that was the case. Maybe that was part of it. But I think... I think what she had was what these, these great uh, Jewish uh, rabbis call the Shekinah glory, the kavod. Now, I'm not going to break that down, but they call it the Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory is like this radiance that just overwhelms you, and by just being radiated by the glory of God, you will be changed. And that is, a, that is the reality of presence. That is the reality that you have to be in the presence of someone. Has anyone ever experienced just by being in the presence, not just of someone, but of something that it was just, it overwhelmed you? Anyone? You might have heard this. I haven't been personally, but the Grand Canyon, right? The glory of the Grand Canyon was just amazing, right? This is what, this is what we're talking about. 
maybe Mary was kind of getting that same kind of overwhelming feeling. For me, and I know I've used this illustration, Big Sky Montana. I just saw the sky without a single stitch of light pollution. And you saw from one edge of the, the, one edge of the horizon to the other edge of the edge of the horizon, and it was just stars. And I, you know, I thought I saw stars before, and I never saw stars before. You turn out all the lights. Well, it was kind of crazy. It was kind of creepy because there was there was like this elk harem within distance. So you heard you heard this like huge like. So you're kind of kind of being a little bit cautious about that. But you just saw all this beauty. And it was wonderful, and it was amazing. And immediately you felt so insignificant, but yet you were so odd, and it, was, it felt so wonderful, and it was significant. And you see, what Paul is talking about here is this. Not so much that you're more than conquerors. Take up a sword and fight. What he's saying is, is our God, who not only is not back there, but is personal, knows every single bit of your heart, knows every single hair on your head, every single little sin, every time that you talk bad about someone in your own mind, every time that you have a piece of paper, every time you uh, covet your neighbor's snowblower, which probably is something that's happening right now, right? Some people. Uh, that you... That you or angry, or, or think of whatever sin. Think of it. Terry, what's your, what's your greatest sin? I'm teasing. You don't have to. That's a joke I, I first say. I did it with Durr, and Durr almost told me. I was like, oh, good. <laughs> I don't want to know. I really don't want to know. But I'll tell you one thing for sure. Jesus knows every single bit of them, and he still loves you. Right? So this is what it means, is if Jesus is for you, who could be against you? If God is for you in Jesus Christ, what do you have to worry about? And this is what my sermon is about. It's about prayer. This is what we need. We need to know that what Paul is telling us is so beautiful. Jesus is interceding for us. Humanity a human being, for the first time in all of eternity, goes up to the presence of the Father and says, yeah, Dan, he's a jerk. He does this, 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 and this. But he really wants to preach a good sermon today. And he really wants to love his wife well. This is what Jesus is doing for every single one of us right now. This is how... God is for us. It's just that he has prepared a way for us to be at the foot of the creator of all things. To be at the foot like Mary was at the foot of Jesus. And to experience that glory and that wonder and that awe. Not just because he's made you holy and died for your sins, but because you still sin and he still loves you and he hates the sin, but he loves you. And he doesn't want you to sin anymore, but you know what? You're going to sin more, and he's still going to work on you, and he's still going to allow maybe some of that sin. If I speed today, I'm going to wreck, and he's going to allow that to happen, but he still might protect me. But he may not. 
He may allow me to come and experience maybe some sort of broken arm or maybe worse. But yet he still loves me because he's still for me. Why? Because he has made a way for me to experience the glory of God so personally that I am changed. Whenever I might be sitting in the hospital because I drove way too fast in this snow and I got into a wreck, he still says, you were an idiot for driving too fast, but I still love you. And you are here and you are in my presence. That is how he's for us. And that is how that woman who's sitting there in a room right next to that line and says, yes, Lord, I will not deny you. Because she feels that power and she knows it. She's experiencing it. It may be the most terrifying thing it may be so depressing it's so frustrating it's so fearful and so anxious that this personal God is not saving her from that lion not making it easier but it's something she can't deny I might be able to try to tell you that I've experienced something more glorious than Big Sky Montana in my own experience you know and I might be able to try to make an argument for that. But I can't deny that it was glorious and amazing and wonderful. You see, this is what we have whenever we have a personal relationship with Christ. Whenever we start interacting, we start praying, and we deal with this personal God who has given us more than we can even handle. What is a sword then? What is a knife or a gun or what is tragedy in light of a God who says there's no distance between you and me anymore when there's nothing that's going to separate us? That's the beauty of the God who loves us. So when I was writing this sermon, I was like, okay, the personal God. Prayer. And then I started uh, reading some, and uh, I read this one author, theologian, and he said so beautifully that prayer is the most free you will ever be as a human being. Here's why. Here's what you do when you pray. In your mind, you don't even have to kneel. You go before God, and you stand there, and Jesus takes these prayers, the things that you say, and he, and he points, and he starts talking, and he starts talking to the Father. And the Father looks down at you, and he sees a redeemed Christian. But not only that, he sees every single spot, and every single sin, and every sing, everything about who you are. And he listens. Still listens because of what Jesus has done for you. He still listens. I think we don't look at sin, or, it, or rather, we don't look at prayer as it interacts with sin this way. And whenever I started delving in to this, this concept that prayer is the most free you will ever be as a human being, it blew me away. Yet while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 8, that's what it says. Yet, while he knew who you were, he still died for you. The same thing goes with prayer. 
people come up and ask me from time to time, and, and it's been it's been the case whenever I prayed or been, became a minister uh, at the University of Kentucky, but more so since I've been a pastor that I've experienced people asking me, I want to pray the right prayer. And I wonder, I wonder where that question comes from. And I think it comes from the fact that we are afraid that even our prayers are sinful and not right prayers and good things to be praying for. And I have to tell you, that is not the right mentality. Our God didn't just become human being, die for our sins, and, 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 and send us the Holy Spirit to not have us pray because we're afraid how our prayers are going to be received or how what they are or what they're going to do. No. He experiences, or rather he comes into you it, 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 through the power of the Holy Spirit. He is around you through the work of the Holy Spirit in the presence of Jesus Christ and he listens to you as the Father in spite of the fact that you are a sinner. In, in spite of the fact that you might pray a prayer that says, I want a million dollars. Please, Lord, give me a million dollars. I want a million dollars. And he knows your heart. That doesn't mean you stop praying that prayer. Maybe it needs, you need to grow up in your faith a bit and pray better prayers, but that doesn't mean that prayer is not holy through what Christ has done for you. You know what he wants? He wants you to pray to him. And no matter how much you think you pray a holy prayer and the things that you pray are selfless and so, so beautiful to God, they're still laden with sin. Do you know that? And he's still present. He's still there. He still loves you. So you know what you get? Whenever you talk about praying is freedom, you just talk. And you just talk and talk and talk. I mean, yeah, I hate to use the concept of a chatty Cathy with Jesus. You know what that means? That means as you're walking out the door today and you're going to your car, you'll be like, Lord, I, just, I don't want to slip on the ice. That's a beautiful prayer. You know why? Because he's standing right there. He is present with you through the power of the Holy Spirit. Why not talk to him? I've said it from time to time, and I know I've said it from time to time. We're sitting here using this illustration right now. I've used these two chairs. We're sitting here living life. By the way, this is a lot more comfortable, especially in a more smaller setting. Just to preach while I'm sitting. Nice. But we're sitting here. Imagine if you had someone sitting right next to you all of your life. And you only feel like you could talk to them whenever it's structurally appropriate. Thou wast Jesus. We ask you to please, and you go through your prayer list, and you, you say these things, and then you never talk to him for the rest of the day. But yet he is with you. He's sitting right next to you. Wherever you go, doing whatever you're doing, he's right there. And you do not feel the need to talk to him. Is anyone like that? Okay, if it is, you don't have to raise your hand, but think about that. Let's be honest with ourselves. I know I don't pray as much as I should. The pastor's making confessions. Confessing my sin of lack of person to you. But I think this text is telling us something significant. The Great Commission says, though I'll be with you always to the end of age. 
What do we know the Great Commission to actually say? We know, we remember it as, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he says after that? Though I will be with you always. Though I will be with you always. We forget that part. We act as if this person is not here 99% of the day. And then whenever we, bes- we beseech him, we invite him into our life in that moment, then he shows up. That's how we act. We, 99% of the day, are not acting like Mary. We're 99% of the day acting like Martha. Doing what we think we can do to make things happen. And then eventually, whenever I finally uh, arrange my prayer life, whenever I finally sit down and I say, you know what, I'm going to spend some time in prayer. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Let me ask you something. How then do you pray ceaselessly? Shortest, shortest verse in Scripture. Well, one of the shortest verses in Scripture. Jesus says, pray ceaselessly. Never stop praying for those who don't know what ceaselessly means. Right? I'm not going to preach my whole sermon sitting down, I promise you. But I want one more, one more illustration to show you on this. How then are we called to pray ceaselessly? If we do not think that he is sitting with us wherever we go, if we do not think the last thing he said, that Matthew writes down, that he said to his disciples is, I will be with you. I will be with you forever. Forever and ever and ever. Though I will be with you always to the end of ages. And we think that the gospel is just about having your sins forgiven. Not only are your sins forgiven, but He promises to be with you and walk with you and spend time with you. And you could be, you could have the greater portion that is promised to Mary. That is the most free you will ever be. Is that God will not turn His presence from you. We talked about it this morning. You want, you want me to define what hell is? We think it's where the devil's going to pitchfork you all the time. What I want to say is, is, is it's going to be this. You are, go- you are going to have given to you what you have wanted all of your life. To live life autonomous from Jesus. From the presence of God. And you're going to be able to live life on your own. Outside of the presence of God. He's courteous enough to give you what you wanted. That is what I think hell is. C.S. Lewis says it. The keys to hell are locked. The, the, rather, the, the door to hell is locked from within. There's a lot to be said about that. But I think he's on to something here. Let us go to the song then. I'm going to reread that song. All this has come upon us, though we have not forgotten you. This, is, this, this has nothing to do with what Paul wrote. He didn't write this. He says, all this has come upon, you, come upon us. Trial, tribulation, frustration, anxiety. And we have not been false to your covenant. This is, what, this is what is being prayed to God. We have not denied you. Our heart has not turned back. Nor have our steps departed from your way. This is what the psalm writer is saying. We have loved you, God. We have loved you. Yet, go back. 
19, yet you have broken us in the place of jackals and covered us with shadow of death. If we have forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, we have not done any of that. No. 21, we, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. Yet for your sake, we are killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then what Paul says in the Romans text is he says, it is not like this, folks. It is not like this. You may lift your hands to foreign gods, and you will not be forgotten. God will still remember you. He will still love you. For the elect, for those he has redeemed, those he has saved, he will remember. This is the weird transition that I'm talking about. Go back to the, the Romans text, please. Whip. 36, please. Who shall separate us? Uh, yeah, go back to the thumb. Sorry. I'm, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You see, the psalmist says, we have not done any of that. We have not denied you. And yet you still bring us through persecution. And, and Paul says, 36, all, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. 37, No what he says. It's not like that now. It's not like that at all. You may be able to raise your hands and worship God for the rest of your life. Back then, God may or may not have loved that. Now, he's giving you everything. He's giving you the complete portion. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Through him, Jesus, who loved us. We are more than conquerors. Let us read the, the message first. This is that special verse that I was going to say. Bob, I'm, I'm making you jump all around right now. So what do you think? Read this with me. Now, does everyone know what the message verse is? Eugene Peterson kind of did this paraphrase. It's not, it's not the, a literal translation. It's this way to try to get us to understand what the text is saying. So let's read it together. So what do you think with God? With God on our side, come with me. How can we lose? If God doesn't, didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, is there anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us and would dare tangle with God by messing with one of God's chosen? Who would dare even to point a finger? The one who died for us, who was raised to life for us, is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Right? Wait, time out. Isn't that beautiful? There's just a way that Eugene Peterson put it. He's sticking up for us. Go on, I'm sorry. I, I love that. Is in the presence of God at this very moment, sticking up for us. Do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way. No, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in Scripture. They kill us in cold blood because they hate you. We're sitting ducks. They pick us off one by one. None of this phases us because Jesus loves us. I'm absolutely convinced that nothing, nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely nothing can come between us and God's love because of the way that Jesus, our master, has embraced us. Is that encouraging? Is there any promise that the sword won't come 
in that text? No. But it won't separate you from the love you have in Jesus Christ. Right? It won't separate you from the fact that you can be married in the worst. The worst time possible in your life. You could be they have that portion to be married and not Martha. You can have the greater portion. Is that good news to you? Is that encouraging to you? It is to me. The Apostles' Creed.